It really is a great joy to be here today, to be with God's people. Um, if there is to be a, a genesis, a spark from God's heart to this uh, little sermon this morning, I woke up uh, about a week ago uh, with these words ringing in my ears, which uh, our words actually from this holy book, but God spoke to me and said, who do you say that I am? Turn to the person beside you for just a moment. We're talking about Jesus. Who is he? Just a moment, who do you think he is? How would you describe him? Many of you have walked with him over many seasons, so you know him very well. Who is he? See, Jesus walks on the streets of the persecuted world and the free world. And he presents himself in many ways. I quite liked the little observation that if you made a few moments ago that our agendas can be changed by compassion, but he has many faces, many voices. The founder of our mission, Brother Andrew, who wrote the book, God Smuggler, always, without exceptions, before he speaks, holds the book above his head, the book above his head, and said, do you love this book? Now that should elicit a response on this sunny day in Stirling. Do you love this book? Thank you. And even there are some applause there at the practice. Getting quite scary. Let's try that one more time. Do you love this book? Yeah. So 774,747 words in this book contained within these red wrappers are 66 individual books written by 40 authors over a landscape of 1,500 years, and if there was to be a meta-theme, if there was to be a word or a question or a provocation, it would be that if you love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, then you can expect me to speak to you and to work for the coming of the kingdom of God be assured that you will be persecuted for your faith because the pursuit of holiness is actually manifest by the way that opposition comes. Now, I haven't come to beat you up this morning. I haven't come to tell you horrific stories about persecution. But this morning, I want to help you answer the question about who do you say that I am? Is that okay? Because I have no plan B. <laughs> the one thing, the one passion on my heart, having walked with Jesus for 50 years now, is that I love him more today than I loved him then. I understand him more today than I did then, but actually have never been disappointed by him. I've always known that I've been loved by him. I've always known that he's had a greater purpose for me. 
And if you can traject yourself into a place in the Middle East where the majority religion has a God for whom int intimacy and engagement and involvement is never a possibility. And then you're kissed by the kiss of forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the awesome one. And it's possible for you to talk to him. It's possible for you to know that you're loved by him. It's possible for you to know that there is a destiny for every individual who kneels before the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses him as Lord and Savior and gets caught up in the great conspiracy of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if I was speaking to Jesus House people this morning in London, we would be having a party right now. We'd be on the seats, we would be dancing, but you are a much more reflective type of people and that's absolutely all right but I better get back to my notes where I was actually taught uh, to preach this morning my title is about the wedding and the wine and the wonder and the guest now recently this image that is about to appear before you caused great controversy within the world of Christians uh, if the AV team could help me with that, that would be really very helpful. This image of Jesus taking a selfie with the greatest respect, as I said, created quite a storm. But from what I have learned about this refugee renegade, now after 20 years working through the Middle East, is that actually we're missing out on something quite profound because the Jesus of the persecuted church, the Jesus of history, the Jesus of the culture of the time, this refugee was a renegade. This savior was a wild one because he was totally non-religious. He was 100% free. He was full of fun, loving, and insanely generous and kind. And wherever he went, he healed and cared for the poor and the sick. I prayed for a guy in Asda, in Falkirk, um, who told me that he couldn't go out into the sunlight the other day. I'm not saying that I'm a model of what it means to be a Jesus follower, but actually maybe I am. Our actions can be changed by compassion. And he's always hung out with those that society shunned. And I, I love these words that he said to the religious elite when they confronted him about the company that he kept. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house and with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. And when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit 
and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example of this, of holy living? What is this Jesus doing? What kind of example is he setting? Jesus overhearing this shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means because I'm after mercy. I'm not after religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the banquet, but with so many other guests, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized that she came to Jesus and asked, there's no more wine. Can you not do something about it? Jesus, speaking to his mammy, as we would say in Ireland, he said, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it immediately. And nearby stood six stone water pots meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. And each one of them could hold about 20 gallons or more. And Jesus came to the servers and he instructed them, fill the pots with water, right up to the very brim, and then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of the ceremonies. Now, you know this story, but there is a jewel in it that is about to explode before you. And when they poured out their pitchers for the master of the ceremonies, for sample, the water became wine. And when he tasted the water, that had become wine, the master of the ceremony was so impressed with its quality. Although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but he called the bridegroom over 10 and said to him, every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two. Then he serves the cheaper wine, but you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. now. This miracle in Cana was the first of many jaw-dropping miracles that Jesus performed in Galilee. And I love this portion of scripture for many reasons, but what we're reading here is his first miracle revealing who he is. Jesus really did turn water into wine. This was no conjuring trick to deceive drunken revelers. Jesus was at a local wedding. And in ancient New Eastern culture, all and sundry were invited to weddings. And to run out of wine was a desperately difficult thing. Mary, Jesus' mother, was attentive to this problem and cared enough to interfere she knew that there was only one person who could sort this out. Until that point, the biblical witness suggests Jesus had not worked any other miracles. 
Later Gnostic texts invent absurd tales about the boy Jesus making birds out of clay. But in this instance, cometh the hour, cometh the mammy. And I love the idea that the woman who bore the eternal logos in her womb would initiate the very first miracle. And what a miracle it was. There were six giant water jars standing there, probably used for Jewish ritual washing. And Jesus requested that to be filled with water. Six jars, each holding 60 gallons. That's a lot of water, isn't it? And it's an incredibly lot of wine also. What has this got to do with the persecuted church? I'm mindful that little people are going to join us in a few moments, but hold on, please, to this remarkable moment where the Son of God, who'd seen the galaxies thrown into reality, who walked with the Father and the Holy Spirit, stands amongst ordinary people and reveals himself and his generosity and his kindness and his empathy. He is the Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the one that captivates the imaginations of people who recognize that the moment that they ask Jesus Christ into their very lives, they're doing so with the potentiality of that being their last act on earth. They love this word. They live this word. There is a predisposition in the free world, if indeed it is free, that we have so much uh, that we can do for those who have so little. But I want to stand that principle in its head this morning and say to you that we need the persecuted church. We need them to teach us our Bible again, the fundamental spiritual disciplines again, and what a radical lifestyle of Jesus actually looks like. I went to prison in Indonesia several years ago to meet three Sunday school teachers that had been put in prison for five and a half years for running a Sunday school. There were 400 people attending the trial, chanting at the judges to crucify the Sunday school teachers. I went into Indramayo State Penitentiary for five days in order to just be with these three ladies. I love traveling in the Far East because I'm a tall man. Etty Rebecca, Etty Rebecca, were just remarkable women. They were thrown into a, a woman's exclusive prayer cell alongside Al-Qaeda terrorists and drug addicts. The place was running with urine and faces on the wall, and prison guards would go in in fours in full body armor, and these little ladies went in. And their first act was to ask for boiling water and disinfectant, and they washed the cells of the other women. 
They emptied their cases, gave them their food. Can you see the face of Jesus there in that moment? I could tell you so much, but after three weeks, the prison superintendent said, Dr. Rebecca, we were told to break you, that you were subversives, but you've been such a, dis you've been such a blessing to us. You can bring your church to prison and we will protect you from your enemies. And I preached in front of 400 jailmates with their arms hanging out the windows and this little Pentecostal church meeting right in the center of the prison. And there were two mosques and four imams and three Sunday school teachers talking about faith. Coming in now to land this message, Rebecca took me for a walk. She was a doctor, they're very tactile, so she took my, help, uh, she took my pulse and said, you need to lose about 14 pounds and no sugar. It's time for you to behave yourself if you want to stay around for a bit longer. Then she looked into my eyes and she said, Brother Eddie, do you know Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Do you know Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. She said, Eddie, I go to bed at night with empty arms where my husband and my three children should be present. But now the father comes and holds me through the night and we pray, I pray that my husband will remain faithful and my children will not hate me because I'm a subversive, supposedly. People like you, as a result of that visit, wrote to the premier of Malaysia in their thousands, and instead of five and a half years imprisonment, they were freed in two years. They were released on a Wednesday, and the world press was fixated with this story but what the world press didn't pick up was on the Monday, the three of them went back to prison to disciple the 47 new Christians that they led to Jesus. Can you see the face of Jesus? Can you hear his voice? Can you see the example? And his face is multi-generational. It's for old people like me and as for some of a younger generation, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is alive. Jesus is walking amongst his church. Jesus is speaking to us this morning to remind us that he is the miracle worker, that he loves you, that he has a purpose for you. And you're part of this family that has never been more needy than it is today. Would you just stand with me for a moment, please?